This is the second part of cognitive biases. We're going to go through three more cognitive biases. And this is part three of a six-part series on behavioral finance. Why are we talking about behavioral finance? Because behavioral finance shapes what we do as uh, fund managers and as syndicators. It's the assets that we acquire and the analysis that we go through get swayed by our own natural behavioral uh, psychology, right? So those things are absolutely true, they happen. We're not purely rational decision makers as much as we wanna be. So in this series, uh, and what this is going to do, it's going to talk about that second three set, set of three of the cognitive biases. In the next video, we'll talk about the last three, and then we'll start talking about what those emotional biases are. So in our first video, we talked about what's behavioral finance. In our last video, we talked, uh, began talking about what our cognitive biases are. So let's switch to the whiteboard and see where we're at. Here are the biases. So last time we talked about conservatism, confirmation, and control. Um, and this time we are going to talk about representativeness, hindsight, and framing. Our next video will go through anchoring, mental accounting, and availability. So let's go through uh, hindsight, uh, representativeness, hindsight, and framing. What are those and uh, what's going on? So representativeness is the idea that um, the past will repeat itself. So it's a false, false belief that the past always repeats itself. This is why you'll see on uh, when you look at the website for any kind of investment, a lot of times you'll see, you know, past results do not indicate what's going to happen in the future, right? It's not indicative of that. Because what happened in the past doesn't always repeat itself, right? I mean, you certainly have events that change things radically. The market forces itself are changing the past, are changing what's going to happen in the future. But aside from that, we have black swan events. We have other things that are always changing it. What this causes it to do is it causes investors to invest in hot investments. So you'll see massive uh, trends in towards to certain things. Like we always see people going into, um, uh, into okay, right now self-storage is really hot and so people are flocking to self-storage. Next, it might be data uh, warehousing uh, facilities again. It was like that before. Maybe that'll come back and it'll be hot because we've got AI hot and maybe that'll be the next thing. I'm not sure. But whatever it is, it causes people to see, they see great returns. And so they think, okay, that's the next great return, right? So we can go to that again. It's going to repeat itself. One thing that I, I oftentimes saw was uh, where my office used to be in Los Angeles. So I would hear constantly about why to invest in multifamily because it always, it, it, the, the market, and you would hear it praised this way, the market always increases the, the multifamily at a, uh, at a much greater pace than rent growth. Rent growth increases at about two or 3%, but the appreciation on properties always uh, appreciates at 
that is a pure example of representativeness. That what may have been a historical trend, but it does not foretell what's going to actually happen. Because at some point, it's going to change, right? I mean, at some point, well, if rent growth is at this, appreciation is going to have to slow down at some point because it's not going to trade at 50 billion times what the rent is, right? It's just not going to happen. So there's a point where we can't see cap rates get pressed down anymore. So that's one example of, of where it happens. But you certainly see it in other areas as well. So you point to, well, you know, right now, AI is very hot, right? So an investment in AI into a language model, OpenAI is now valued at 83 billion, I think it is. So the next language model we should certainly invest into because it's also going to be uh, at a, a valued at 83 billion. But that's just not true, right? It may be valued more. It might be valued less. It might be valued to nothing. Don't know. Uh, but it's that representativeness that we need to get away with. We need to actually do the financial analysis, not rely on past uh, results. Now, past results can help influence us, right? It can say it can, it's a data factor that we should comp uh, that we should put in. But it doesn't mean that it's always going to happen. We can't use those as placeholders without thinking through them as placeholders. All right, hindsight. Hindsight is always 2020. That's exactly what this means, right? So it could be that uh, your investors say, you know, you are the best syndicator in the world. We always make uh, make 30% IRR. Well. Yeah, you may be. I knew it going in because, wow, now we made 30%. I knew we were going to make 30. I knew it. I knew it was going to be 30. I know that you were saying it was 20, but I knew it was going to be 30. That's an example of hindsight bias. That's us saying, well, that, that the future was predicted or, or that the current state was predicted by, you know, I, that you knew it before when you didn't know it before, really. I mean, that's why it was there. So it, what this does is it creates a false sense of confidence. So it, it decreases the perceived risk of what's going to happen. Uh, and that's, that's something that needs to be, be thought through. So when you're choosing an asset, or when you're choosing assets to buy, are you relying on hindsight? Are you relying on, uh, are you saying that well, I know that I should just keep doing this because just like representativeness, you know, it's always been this way. And then you tell the investors, well, we knew it was going, this was going to happen because uh, it happened. Well, you can't really do it that way. That's illogical. So um, I'm going to put this as the hindsight is 2020 problem. All right, the third one is called framing. So framing is, uh, it's a tendency to interpret information not based on the pure information itself, but based on its source and presentation. So let's say you have two opportunities you're looking at, right? This one hired 
best marketing team in the world. It looks so great. Oh my goodness, this brochure is amazing. It's got like 3D photos on it and it's got like there's a video player that opens up and it just looks amazing. And they hired uh, James Earl Jones to do the voiceover for it. Man, it's a great, great, great asset. And this one looks just like it's been written in crayon. And so you automatically make the decision that, okay, I'm going to adopt this one because surely it's better. I mean, they hired the marketing team in order to put it together and James Earl Jones did the voiceover. It's great. And now look at this one. When the information may have been way, way, way better in, the, in this one. So framing is that bias that we take place, that based on the frame, think like a neuro-linguistic programming definition of frame. So the lens that we're looking at it through, that's what we choose to gravitate to. We tend to filter things out based on that and not look at beneath the surface and say, what is the actual information that's being portrayed here? And how reliable is actually the information, not the package for the information? Right. So a five year old may say this is a great investment, but he hires James Earl Jones. It's going to be very, very different than you've got, you know, uh, a CCIM with, you know, 20 years of experience uh, in doing syndications and knows everything about the market and finance and everything. And they're also a CFA, you know. But we discount it because the packaging isn't nice. So that's what the, the framing bias is. So my name is Tilden Moschetti. I'm a syndication attorney for the Moschetti Syndication Law Group. I'm also a syndicator and a fund manager, just like you. So part of what I bring to my practice is the legal documents and all of those things, absolutely. But kind of also why I'm putting together this video is because as a syndicator, as a fund manager, I understand the issues that you're going through. I know what sort of things come up. And these, these ideas of behavioral finance absolutely come up. How do I know? Because they come up for me. And so if they come up for me, I'm certain that they come up for you. Uh, and I thought it would be helpful for us to work together and define what those are so that way we can stomp them out. Ultimately, we, we take control, we mitigate the damage caused by these emotional and uh, cognitive biases. What happens in the end? Our investors get better results. You get better results. It's a win-win across the board. So again, my name is Tilda Moschetti, Moschetti Syndication Law Group.